What's up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. Thank you for making me part of your week, this week and every week. With the conclusion of the NFL Draft, the NFL GMs are now off the clock. But that means my co-host and myself are now on the clock. We're going to be breaking down the Buffalo Bills draft and how we feel about it and how we think it's going to impact this upcoming season. So stick around and let's have some fun. Before we jump into this episode, I just wanted to take a quick time out to say thank you to everyone who listens to me and continues to listen to me on a weekly basis. Remember... If you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe to me on the listening platform of your choice and leave me a good thumbs up rating so that more people can find out about this podcast. Also, if you like this podcast, do not underestimate the word of mouth. Make sure you tell your friends, you tell your family to give me a listen because they might also like what they hear. You can hear me on any of the major podcasting websites, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, right here on Anchor. You can follow me on Twitter at SportsTalkBuff1. That's SportsTalkBuff1 on Twitter. You can also email me at SportsTalkBuffalo at Yahoo.com. Once again, thank you for listening. Now let's get on with the rest of the episode. All right, everyone, let's jump right into the episode here. I'm with my buddy again, Mark. Thank you for joining me on this episode. We are now on the clock. Are you ready to do this thing? Oh, I'm good to go. Well, this one I definitely did more research than I have probably for the last ever. So <laughs> so I watched a lot of game tape. I wrote down a lot of notes for each person. Every one of these notes that I wrote down, I went into each player trying not to look up what their what other draft analysts and things were saying about each one of these players. Obviously, I heard about each one of them when they were drafted, but I tried to go into it with a little bit of a clean slate and kind of assess each guy for myself and and just see what I noticed. Obviously, I'm not a professional. Obviously, football is not even probably my best sport in terms of being able to evaluate people, but I thought I did a pretty good job. I spent a lot of time, probably about three, four hours, just watching videos on these guys. Not only did I watch their highlight tapes, but I tried to watch every single snap from you know multiple games uh, for each one of these players so that I could kind of get a feel as to what they were like when they weren't you know, getting the ball and making these these big plays like in their highlight videos. So let's start off by asking you real quick, are you surprised at all that the Buffalo Bills did not make a trade throughout this entire process? I would say yes, but I think I would say yes had I not known how the board had had fallen. And I, I say the board not knowing what their board was, but I say the board knowing like in my head after doing mock draft after mock draft after seeing, again, like you, you know, what all the analysts say or what they said, you know, watching the tape myself, knowing who my guys were, that kind of stuff, you know, what the the needs of the team were. And the guys that, like everybody else, thought that it would go a lot sooner than they did ended up falling, and it totally changed everything. So I, I could imagine, too, that, Bean was probably also very comfortable, not only with the team's board and, and who they had ranked on there, but, you know, what they did this offseason so far. So, like, like he had stated before, he wasn't really planning on drafting for need. He was 
trying his best to stick to the board and going with best player available. And I think that I think for the most part that's what he, that's what he did. And with the way the draft had been going, he didn't really probably need to move at all. I, I would say there was probably one one time I thought maybe he would make a move, and that's when uh, cornerback Bryce Hall was falling. And I thought, oh, maybe he'll you know he'll jump up, for, you know, in the fifth round a little a little higher or something, and and secure that that pick or, or, or whatever. But it didn't work out that way. And you know what? I'm I'm fine with it. It's it's cool. It's it's, it's okay with me, and it's okay with me. Absolutely. I mean, we can't really argue too much about what this regime has done over the past three years. It seems like everything they touch turns to gold. But uh, Brandon Bean, it wasn't for lack of trying, according to him, uh, about making a trade and trading up to draft a player. Here's what he had to say about it. Yeah, you know, uh, I was just trying to uh, – I'm always a curveball pitcher. Today I just grew fastballs. I was trying to, you know, just give give everybody uh, something a little different. Nah, I mean, I would have lost a lot of money saying the, the Buffalo Bills wouldn't have uh, done some type of trade. Uh, I was on uh, a player that got selected – three three or four slots um, ahead of one of our picks. I was on with the team of the NFC, uh, and we were pretty much had worked out the parameters uh, for that move. And while I was talking to that GM, uh, the player got selected. So um, there was one other time where we almost moved down uh, in the round, uh, but they were looking for a future pick, and it, it wasn't enough uh, value for me. So – you know, for what we, I liked what we had on the board versus moving back. Um, you know, it was about 10 or 12 spots. We were going to get a future pick, but uh, just didn't feel they, they were giving us enough. So does it surprise you at all after hearing those comments that he was actually on the telephones trying to make trades, trading up, trading down, and maybe players didn't necessarily fall where he thought they would? Um, yeah, I, re- I was kind of surprised, like I said, that he didn't make a trade just because he has he always seems to be kind of a genius in terms of making trades, at least lately. So it was a little bit of a surprise that maybe he didn't trade up or trade back and get a couple more picks maybe in the future, but everything seemed to fall pretty good for the Buffalo bills. They got a lot of value in this draft and we'll start by talking about the player that they drafted in round number two, the 54th pick overall, AJ Espinaza. I think that's how you say his last name, the D end out of Iowa, six foot five, 275 pounds, why don't you tell me what the tape says to you about this guy? All right. So this is just going forward. Epinesa. <laughs> Sorry. I always, I always butcher this his last name. AJ Epinesa. And yeah, I could see why, why you would probably listen to a couple of interviews, making sure you got that one down. Right. But no worries. I'm here for you. Thanks bud. Uh, he's, he's a throwback to me. Um, I, I know a lot of people were comparing him uh, playing style, body size type, all that, uh, to J.J. Watt, which, hey, I'll, I'll take that comparison. I, I would hope to God he turns out into a J.J. Watt because then the value is just that much more tremendous for the Bills. Um, but he's not he's not a defensive end in the vein of um, some of the guys that were chosen ahead of him, like uh, Kevon Chasen out of LSU. You know, he's not that slender body, you know, athletic type of, of edge rusher um, you know that kind of tweener that you see uh, more often now where they can flip between 
their their hand in the dirt at defensive end or stand up at outside linebacker. He is he is all power. The, the guy is just a mauler monster. And what I saw isn't a guy, and I know a lot of people have said this too, um, he's not a guy that's going to consistently sack the quarterback. He's not going to come away with like double-digit sacks year in and year out. And that's okay with me. And I, I know that may surprise some people to hear, and I don't mean that as, oh, my God, Mark is, you know, an all-sack guy. He loves the sack stat. No, that, I mean that as I'm okay with that, and I might be surprised here because a lot of people are, that's the stat that they look at when they try to, you know, box score, evaluate some of these defensive linemen and, and, and linebackers. But for me, I don't really care so much about a sack that I, I love the pressure he puts on the quarterback and he does so much more than, than hit the quarterback. I've seen countless tape of this guy just disrupting play after play, whether it be putting pressure on the quarterback to get rid of the ball earlier or, you know, getting his hands up there and, and batting balls down or deflecting balls or strip sacking the, the quarterback. I mean, this guy makes plays, whether it seems like it or not. And it may not be flashy, it may not be sexy, but the dude gets his job done, and he does it really well. And I know a lot of people had Epinesa going in the first round, whether it be mid-first round to late-first round, depending on you know where you were in the evaluation process. So the fact that he fell all the way to 54 for us, I, I, I can totally understand why you, know, you pull the trigger right away on a player like that. I think him paired up with the likes of Jerry Hughes is is going to do wonders for um, the Bills' defensive line. Absolutely. When I watched him, you know, I he's not he's not the flashy player that you know everyone kind of wants when when you watch the draft, and he's someone that's just he seems like he's more consistent. Now, I, I watched the game tape on him, and what I seen is obviously he they said he had potential first round uh, talent, but. What I see from him is, I think, well, first off, let me say, I think his draft stock went down simply because of his his combine performance. He didn't, like, if you look at his combine performance numbers, the bench press, he only like 17. They mentioned his 40 time, which I don't know why that's a huge deal for a defensive end to chase down a quarterback, I guess. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know, but, uh, you know, his combine wasn't all that impressive. But when you watch him on game tape, you see that he does more than just go after the quarterback. He does a good job at setting the edge. And then when he does af- uh, actually go after the quarterback, he is a very, very powerful man. He's a lot more powerful than those 17 bench press reps tell you at the 225 in the combine. I've seen several times in several different games where he just bullied the offensive tackle back into the quarterback. Now, while it didn't always result in a sack, what it does do is kind of throw the quarterback out of his rhythm and makes the quarterback have to throw the uh, throw the ball before he's ready to, maybe before the route is completely uh, done and ready to be, you know, the receiver's done with his route, ready to catch the ball, things like that. He's also got a, a halfway decent in terms of, I don't want to say speed move, you know, he's not going to beat the guy around the edge, but he's got what I called violent hands. If you watch him on the game tape, when the offensive tackle tries to get inside and, and, and uh, get his hands inside his chest and, and 
push him back. He's he's so violent with his hands. He slaps the offensive tackle's hands away, and it really on a lot of those situations, it kind of throws the offensive tackle's balance off, so he can kind of go inside or outside and end up beating that tackle to the quarterback. He is a like I said, he's got that power move. He's also very very quick off the ball in terms of or in passing downs to get after the quarterback. He's not that fast off the ball to, you know, in running situations, but to get after that quarterback, he is very, very quick off the ball, and he puts a lot of pressure on the offensive tackle to be able to get to his spot. Otherwise, A.J. Epinesa, right? I said that one right, I think. He will he will definitely beat you and make you look silly. I think he's a fantastic addition in the second round, in the late second round, mind you, especially the fact that they said he's got first-round talent, and he kind of showed it on tape at Iowa. Uh, he he will be a very good rotational player. Obviously, uh, I think somebody compared him. They, they thought that this was what they were going to get when they brought in somebody like Trent Murphy. Not overly athletic, not overly flashy, but has a super high motor and will kind of beat you with with technique and, and uh, his high motor over the fact that he's got these incredibly raw gifts. He, uh, he's he's going to be a very good guy. He, I think he's going to be somewhere between the six to eight sack range for a lot of his career, uh, even though he did have, I think he had double-digit sacks the last two seasons in college, but that's neither here nor there. This isn't college anymore. He... Um, He's just very solid overall in all aspects. He seems like he's very good against the run. He's very good at getting after the passer. So you can use him in a lot of different situations. And that bodes very well for the Buffalo Bills going into the future. On to round three. Pick number 86. Everyone wanted a running back in round two. A lot of running backs, a lot of the top tier running backs were off the board already by the time the Bills got to their second round pick. So Brandon Bean decided to wait, and in the third round for the second straight year, they ended up getting their running back, Zach Moss, out of Utah, five foot nine, two twenty-three. He is definitely going to fill the role of Frank Gore. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's definitely that north south runner that is gonna complement Singletary uh the way the team was looking for uh when they had Gore come in. And he's, he's, to me, he's plug in running back number two right away. And if you look at their, their running back room right now, outside of Singletary, they, the only, they only have a couple veterans and they've got Yeldon and Taiwan Jones. And uh, Yeldon, um, to me, his best days are behind him. And I know that McDermott was kind of talking him up as being the RB2 for them, but I think. Now it's clear that that was more smokescreen than anything else. Uh, Tylon Jones is more of a special teams kind of guy. Uh, he's going to fill the role that Janoris Perry had had for us last year. And then you got Christian Wade, who obviously, I mean, we, we love the story of Christian Wade, but I don't, I don't think anybody's expectations are any any higher really than they were when um, the preseason was over last year with him. And I think pretty much everybody expects the same scenario to play out with Christian Wade uh, lining up on the practice squad. So, yeah, Zach Moss comes in right away. He's just he, he's an animal. Just a straight bull, like I said, north-south runner. And I, I've seen some tape, and it, it's more than just a power run game with him. I've seen him in the passing game, and I've seen him play inside, like in the slot. I've seen him play outside. 
the, the fact that you can move him around like that, and especially because he's a mostly play, I would, I would assume, you know, third down, goal line, that kind of stuff, you know, get the tough yards. I, I think that speaks volumes for this pick outside of, you know, the fact that he fell to the third round for us, especially when there was that run on, on, on running backs that happened um, after Swift had gotten picked in the first. So I love it. I think it's great. I think it's just what they need. So now they got a couple of young, um, young running backs that are going to uh, really put in the work for us and they're going to have them at a premium rate. It's just, it's a fantastic move that's only going to help this offense move forward in 2020. Absolutely. Like you were stating, I really do like this pick after watching some of his game tape. You're right. He is more than just a power back. He is more than Frank Gore. In my opinion, he is way more than a Frank Gore. He's more than a goal line or a, a you know a short yardage situation type of running back. He is a he's more of a one cut downhill runner. And while he didn't score very well in terms of the forty yard dash at the combine, he had, he ran a four six five forty yard dash. When you watch him on the game tape, he is way faster than that on game tape. He looks like and and. Here's a situation, or here's an example of what I mean by faster on the field. He had a 91-yard touchdown run against Oregon State, which he showed off multiple things. He showed off his speed, obviously, with being able to pull away from defenders and get that 91-yard touchdown. But he also showed power. If you watch that play, one of the uh, defensive guys meets him in the hole. He runs him over and then proceeds to go to the left sideline, the near sideline to the camera, <clears throat> to the camera, pardon me, and take off. He blows everyone else out of the water. And he is, like I said, he is far faster than that four, six, five that he is. Uh, he ran at the combine. Something else I noticed, he is a very good pass blocker. When, He's not getting the ball, obviously, in passing situations and, you know, play action, things like that, stuff that the Bills like to do. He is very good at recognizing the incoming blitzer, things like that, and picking them up and stopping them dead in their tracks so that they can't get in Josh Allen's face and kind of affect the throw. Uh, as I was saying, uh, the knock on him is obviously his his kind of east-west, his, his lateral mobility. He's not a very lateral type of guy, so if there's not a one, if there's not a hole or you know a one-cut opportunity for him, he's going to kind of struggle. He's going to struggle to kind of bounce it outside when there's no hole or anything like that. That's something else that i kind of seen uh, on the game tape. But what else I saw is when there is a hole and he can get to that next level, to the second level with the linebackers and then into the secondary, he is an absolute load to bring down. Once he starts getting up to speed, he's like a semi truck. He just he breaks any arm tackle that comes near him. He runs right through people, and I think the quote he said he likes to have the defensive back make business decisions when they go to tackle him. So that should show you how physical of a runner this guy is. He loves contact, and he will finish every run with his shoulder pads down, and he will run through you instead of trying to run around you. So that's something that the Bills needed in their backfield to kind of complement the Devin Singletary, who's a little bit more of a shifty running back. And he's a load to bring down in his own right, but he's a load to bring down for completely different reasons. Both guys can catch the ball out of the backfield. Singletary show, didn't show that a lot in college, 
but showed that a lot. I, I think he showed out pretty well in his first year in the NFL. And then you watch, like I said, watch the game tape for Zach Moss. He caught 28 passes for 388 yards in his senior season, obviously to go along with his four, uh, 1,416 yards rushing. So this kid is is very, very talented. And for him to be able to fall to the Bills in the third round, the Bills got another steal in this draft and have, much like you said, a plug-and-play RB2 right behind Devin Singletary. I think it's going to work out much like it did last season where the guys kind of split the carries. You're going to see Zach Moss in on first downs, second downs, third downs. Same thing with Devin Singletary. Both guys going to kind of get, you know, you know, switch on and off in terms of this person gets this series, this guy gets that series kind of thing. But, you know, I... I really like this pick. I think he's a lot better than a third-round pick. I think he definitely could have been, when I watched the tape of him, he's definitely a, a, a higher-graded pick for me, and he could be a starter on most teams. He was a workhorse in college, and he could potentially be a workhorse for the Buffalo Bills, provided injuries and things like that happen. We don't have to really worry about somebody like TJ Yeldon coming in, and like you said, he's kind of, you know, his best days are kind of behind him. Not that he he was all that bad when he did get the opportunity last year, but I much, much more comfortable provided something, injury, something like that happens to have somebody like Zach Moss behind a Devin Singletary over somebody like a TJ Yeldon. Did you see anything else that kind of jumped out on the game tape for you as far as Zach Moss went? Or is that kind of, did I kind of cover most of it? I think you got it. Um, I know that you had brought up the speed thing that obviously the game tape, he's a lot faster than what he recorded at the combine. I think the combine was like four, six, two or something like that. And I know he re-ran the 40 on a kind of makeshift pro day and it was four, five, two. So he shaved about a tenth of a, you know, point ten seconds off of his, his combine time. And usually my, my thinking is that if you run a drill multiple times and, you know, let's say you ran it four times and each time, you know, you were off by, you know, 0. 0.5, 0. 0.10 seconds for each, each drill, I say you add them all up, divide by four, and whatever the average is, that's probably what, what his speed is. And for him, he falls somewhere in like the, the mid four five range. And I think that's his, his true speed. So he's definitely quicker than what he, he ran at the combine. Um, he's not a burner by any means, but he, he does have enough speed. He's got enough giddy up to get himself down the field. And like I said, he, he's going to be hard to tackle, which is, I mean, that, that's the thing. At the very least, he plays that role of where he wears down the defense. He's going he's gonna to wear down the guys at that first level and then it's going to make things a lot easier when Singletary comes in, who, I mean, his running style is he makes you miss in a phone booth. You know, he's got this this great lateral agility, and he just, he, he, he takes guys right out of their cleats. He's got so a ridiculous... So guys that are completely exhausted from dealing with, you know, like I said, a, a bulldozer like Zach Moss, then it, it's going to be a great one-two punch for the Bills in 2020. Oh, absolutely. You just meant his lateral mobility. I don't think I've ever seen a jump cut quite like Devin Singletary. Obviously, we did have Shady here who 
He was at the end of his prime, I think, when we got him, and he's kind of—I don't want to say he was on the downside. Maybe in the early years, maybe I'm just not remembering correctly. But like I said, for for him, he's a smaller back, so his jump cut just seems that much more devastating, especially for a rookie coming in and making defenders look silly. It's just—it was incredible to watch him last year, and hopefully Zach Moss can come in and kind of have that same kind of wow factor that we've seen from Devin Singletary. And if that happens, it's just another weapon for Josh Allen and that offense to continue to build on going into Josh Allen's year three. Moving on to the fourth round, pick number 128, the Bills went wide receiver. Now we're starting to get into more of the luxury picks for the Bills. Obviously, there was no glaring needs throughout the entire draft for Buffalo, that is a testament to how good the roster was that Bean and McDermott set up for the first two years going into their uh, third full year. Was it their third full year, right? Fourth full year. Fourth full year. Uh, going into yep. their fourth full year, the the testament to their the fact that they've built this roster that's you can go into this draft and kind of pick for the best player on the board is a luxury that Buffalo Bills fans have not had the opportunity to enjoy in a very long time, in my opinion. So when they picked, they picked in the fourth round, Gabriel Davis, wide receiver out of UCF. He is six foot two and 216 pounds. We all were talking about how we wanted that bigger receiver, how we need another big receiver. Stephon Diggs, we're all excited about Stephon Diggs. Obviously, he was essentially our first-round pick. And speaking of that, uh, Justin Jeff- what do you think about Justin Jefferson being drafted by the Minnesota Vikings with, a, with that 22nd pick? Are you still happy with how the board fell for the Buffalo Bills and getting Stephon Diggs, or do you kind of— does it make you less excited that somebody like Justin Jefferson fell to the Buffalo Bills or the, the Minnesota at Vikings at the not Buffalo Bills spot? Yeah, no, not at all. Um, I, I, I get where some people would, would be in that mindset where obviously they're going to look at it and go, okay, so you traded that pick and a young top receiver fell to you at that pick. Why trade for Diggs? Well, here's why, and it's, it's a pretty simple answer. Diggs is a proven commodity. He's a proven commodity at the highest level of the sport. So could he, could we have had a quote unquote cheaper young version? Sure. But I mean, Diggs is only 26 years old. He's 26 years old. He signed a new contract before we traded for him. And he is, he is a, an elite talent, a proven talent. You just, I, I am giving up. Pick, what was it? Pick 22. Pick 22 all day long today. All day long. Me too. And a lot of people in here agree with that. And I know a lot of people are basically looking at Stefan Diggs as our first round pick. Yep. They're they're basically grading our our draft class for 2020 based on the fact that our first round pick was Stefan Diggs. And it only makes our our draft look that much sweeter when you trade for a commodity like Stefan Diggs in the first for the first round. And a guy like AJ Epinesa falls to you in the second. Absolutely. And then you got Zach Bunk for the third. So your first three picks, it's it's a grand slam. It's a home run hit as far as I'm concerned because you address your your biggest need on offense because you want to take care of your young quarterback and make sure he has weapons. And you got to score points in this league. So you get Stephon Diggs in the first, Zach Bunk to compliment Devin Singletary in the third, and then you add to your defense 
and making them only scarier when you bring in AJ Epinesa. So I'm totally fine with that. And like you said, the Gabe Davis pick and a few other picks, it's just, it's best player available. And, and Bean said it the whole time that that's what he was going to do. And I I didn't know as much about Gabriel Davis as I did other wide receivers because as far as like where you rank them, Gabe Davis wasn't in like the top five for me, obviously. But, you know, I, I liked the pick. I, once I got to really dive into the tape on him, you know, him and the wide receiver that we picked up later that we'll talk about in the in the sixth round, you could you could basically put them side by side and say the same things about both. These guys are gonna be your plug in wide receiver for depending on how things shake out over the offseason because I mean, I don't know if you've seen the wide receiver room for the Bills lately. Crowded. But it doesn't look like much of a problem anymore. No, it's a cr- it's, it's a crowded it's room. That's for sure. We're gonna have a good problem because we're gonna have a lot of talent to to sift through and figure out. I know we got our our big three locked in with Diggs, Brown, and Beasley, but you're looking for the wide receiver five or four and five to be battling it out. I mean, you got Andre Roberts, who is more of your your core special teams guy and Pro Bowler last year. You got Isaiah McKenzie, Robert Foster, Duke Williams, Ray Ray McLeod, and Nick Easley. And now you add Gabe Davis, who honestly, I think um, Gabe Davis is going to come in and you're going to be looking at guys at this bottom of the roster where you got Duke Williams, McLeod, Easley. Those guys become ever more expendable on a roster that before would keep them around because we were that thin at the position. And now that's not the case. So... Davis is your six foot two. I think he's like near two hundred pounds. Two sixteen. This guy, he he tracks the ball so well, so well, and he, he's not again. This, I I think Bean had talked a lot about speed. He wanted to get speed, and I don't know if that was a smoke screen because I, I looked at the draft class as far as offensive weapons that they picked up, and speed was not something I'd use to describe these guys. But what Gabe Davis does better than most is being able to get open down the field. He, I think he averaged over 17 yards of reception for yeah. when, when he was thrown to over 20 yards. And this guy, he just, he, I love the way he catches the ball. He's not like a body catcher. He high points the ball, he gets his hands out there, brings it in, and He's he's the wide receiver four that you want for this team because you got Diggs who is a do it all. He can line up outside, inside doesn't matter. You got John Brown who that's your speed guy, that's your burner on the on the offense, and then you got Beasley who's your plug in slot guy. So you bring in a Gabe Davis as your wide receiver four, and he fits into there like a glove. And he's going to be the guy that in the red zone or if you're trying to convert on third down, he could be a guy to look for. And if Josh Allen can figure out how to hit him on the deep ball, then that's that's going to be another big plus for this team. Absolutely. I think he has the potential to, after John Brown is done here in Buffalo, I think this is John the last, we have this last year on John Brown's contract, right? Or we have one more after this? 
Signed a three-year contract? I think there's one more year left. I'd have to check, but I think it's one more year. Oh, yeah. I think he signed a three-year contract. But nonetheless, you bring in somebody like a Gabriel Davis, you know, six foot two, two sixteen. that's your size guy that everyone was clamoring for. You don't necessarily need a Duke Williams anymore. He's going to have to definitely prove that he is better than than the guys that the Buffalo Bills drafted. It's going to create a lot of competition for that 4-5 or five receiver spot. And this kid is really, really good. He ran a 4-5-4 four, four at the Combine for six foot two, 216. That's not too bad. Uh, he's got the same kind of... When I looked at him, his game tape, he doesn't look fast. He's He's not... Obviously, his time, 40 times, not overly fast, but somehow he just always gets behind the defenders and has enough speed to kind of make those big plays, kind of like what you saw when Mike Evans was coming out. Obviously, I'm not saying that Gabriel Davis is Mike Evans. Let's not get that twisted at all. But he has that same type of big playability in terms of how big he is and how he just has a knack for seemingly getting behind defenders. He has a ton of big plays. He high points the ball really well, like you mentioned, and he got better statistically every single year he was in college in receptions and yards and yards per catch and touchdowns. The one knock that I did see against him is that when you watch him every single play, if he doesn't think he's getting the ball, if he's like the third or fourth read on a route, he almost kind of gives up on the route. He doesn't necessarily give a max effort. So maybe that's kind of a reason why he fell a little bit more in this draft, you know, overshadowed by some of the other guys. But he has all the talent to be right up there with the other guys. They, somebody said he was a T. Higgins B something like that for the Buffalo Bills fans that were enamored with T. Higgins. I was one of them. I really liked him, especially after watching the tape after you told me about him. I really went and I watched a lot of his his game tape. And Gabriel Davis is is uh, comparable to that as far as talent-wise goes. He, ha- he had, uh, what do you have, 1,700 or 1,200, sorry, 1,700. That's a lot. That's a big difference. 1,241 yards receiving. Uh, 12 touchdowns uh, as a junior, so he had another full year of eligibility, decided to come out. It proved to be a pretty good idea as the Buffalo Bills drafted him in the fourth round and 128 overall. Do you, How realistic do you think his opportunity is to make this roster as the fourth round pick? I would consider it probably pretty good, and I think guys like you mentioned, Easley and Williams and... Um, there's another one in there, maybe even Andre Roberts, that are really going to have to fight for that that four or five spot that two of these receivers that the Bills just drafted are going to be fighting for. And like I said, I really think uh, Gabriel Davis has an opportunity if he can stick on the team and if he can be that number four receiver to move up into that number two receiver after somebody like John Brown is done here in Buffalo. They're really drafting and setting themselves up for a nice depth and and competition and having a future when some of these bigger contracts start to go away they still got these guys on their rookie contracts and it's going to bode well for a lot of different aspects of the Buffalo Bills you don't have to worry about signing free agents you got another guy you can just next man up you're going to have a lot of talent at a lot of different positions so that if the injury bug does strike Buffalo we don't have to worry about it as much that Josh Allen will still have the weapons needed in order to get the job done uh, this season. Moving on to round number five, 167. I think this pick 
for a lot of Bills fans and for a lot of media, actually, is a big, big surprise. I have always really liked this kid. Watched him on QB1, on Netflix, thought he was the ultimate leader. His leadership jumped off the screen to me, and I tried to follow him as much as I could at Georgia. I think he is a tremendous player, and he has the, in my opinion, watching him, he has the potential depending on the team he's on, to be a decent starter or a very, very, very good backup in the NFL. Obviously, his arm strength is not that of, you know, Jacob Eason and uh, Justin Herbert, uh, which was kind of unfortunate because he sat in the combine, he sat right in between those two guys to throw the football. So you went from Eason, who's got an absolute rocket on his shoulder, to Jake Fromm, who doesn't necessarily have a rocket. He's got okay arm strength. I wouldn't say he's got bad arm strength. If you watch the game tape, you can see he doesn't because you watch him throw the ball with velocity from the far hash to the far, you know, from the right hash to the far sideline and get it there on time with velocity so that the the corner can't break on it and break it up and things like that. Little things like that that you watch on game tape that kind of shows that he is probably a little bit better than what the evaluators saw at the combine. And again, it went Eason, who's got a rocket, then Fromm, who's got an average-ish arm, an average-ish arm, and then it went to Justin Herbert, who's got a rocket. So I think subconsciously the evaluators are like, man, this kid's got a dead arm. He can't make all the throws. But if you watch, if you go back and watch the game tape, he can make all the throws. He absolutely can. Am I saying that he is just the the be-all, end-all, that he's going to take Josh Allen's job? No. 100% no. This is Josh Allen's team. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But this is the season that we're going to find out. Is Josh Allen the guy? He has to prove it now. He has no other excuses. He's got a top-five defense. He's got weapons that coming out of his arse, essentially. <laughs> he's got Diggs, Beasley, Brown, backfield. He's got uh, Singletary. Now he's got Moss. He's got more wide receivers in the room than he could probably count with two hands. He's got so much depth that all the different skill positions up front, the entire offensive line is coming back, essentially. They added some more pieces, I think, to the offensive line. They just signed an undrafted free agent that they said had first-round potential but kind of fell off because the teams couldn't get him in to get medical clearance, so to speak, to get medically cleared and, and make them comfortable drafting him. He suffered a couple of, I think it was ACL injuries to his knees, but he's a monster. He's got tons of talent, so maybe he sticks on the team and he adds more depth to the offensive line. This is the season for Josh Allen. No ifs, ands, or buts. And if he falters, is do you think that Jake Fromm is kind of like a, you know, I don't want man, it's so hard for me. I don't want to say he's an option later, and I don't want to say that there's any sort of uh, QB controversy, but do you think that they're kind of planning for the future a little bit and kind of going like, okay, well, if Josh Allen's not the guy that we thought he was going to be, if, he, if we don't think he's going to reach that enormous potential, did they draft a guy in the late rounds to kind of take a flyer on him and see what he's like? And if, you know, maybe he can run the team the way they want to run the team here in Buffalo, well, kind of a, a run first and 
you know, make smart plays, smart decisions with the football kind of quarterback in a Jake Fromm. What what did you see, and what are you excited about the Jake Fromm pick? I know you called it. I know you texted me and told me about it and said, look out, and the Bills might draft Jake Fromm. He's still on the board. You know, be ready for it. And I kind of wrote you off a little bit thinking there's no freaking way the Buffalo Bills are all set. They have their starter, Allen. They have their backup, Barkley. They have their third string in Davis Webb. There's there's no room on this roster for Jake Fromm. And then they drafted him. Excited? Absolutely. I love that kid. I think he's a phenomenal player. I think he's a tremendous leader. I don't. I, I can't state that enough. He is a leader, and people like playing with him. His his energy is infectious, and he gets the the players on his. He brings out the best out of the players and his team, his teammates on offense, simply because of his attitude. He's the most positive dude on the team, always, as stated by several of his teammates at Georgia. So, are you excited about the Jake Fromm pick? All right. So you were surprised. You were just- I want to be clear. You were you were surprised by this pick? I was I don't want to say surprised, but I was not a, not, not expecting could, you it. You, you were surprised. I was not as, expecting it as much as maybe somebody like you was expecting something like that to happen. I I thought it was more of a long shot, I mean, but I was I was very much in the minority. I think everybody else in Bill's Mafia had the same process of thought you and before I get into Fromm himself as a player, I just I want to kind of go over this real quick so people understand why it wasn't as much a surprise to me as it might have been to everyone else. So, again, I'm sure that everybody did not see quarterback as a quote-unquote need for, for the Bills, okay? But Bean had stated time and again the strategy was to go with best player available. And at that time, three three quarterbacks had fallen all the way down to the fourth round when, when that day started, okay? And it, it caught a lot of people by surprise because, obviously, the quarterback position, it, it isn't just a best player available position. It is what I call a NEPA position. NEPA is most important position available. Anybody who's anybody knows that in this league, the quarterback is what drives the offense. If you don't have a quarterback, your team isn't going very far in the season. Okay? We know that better than anybody because we suffer with quarterback after quarterback after quarterback after quarterback. So, and it wasn't just the quarterbacks we had starting, but it's just the handling of the position from starter to backup, which has caused a lot of issues for the team and why we had a 17-year drought. You know what I mean? So, again, you look at it and you you got to understand that in the fifth round, when a player like Jake Fromm, who was very highly touted when he came out, okay, and he... Out of the three guys, one of them, Jacob Eason, which you mentioned, who basically those two couldn't be any more opposite of a quarterback as far as size, style, arm strength, all of it, right? They couldn't be more opposite of each other. Well, after Eason went down, because Eason, who he was drafted by the Colts, 
coming out of Washington. He originally was a starter at Georgia. He goes down, he gets injured, Fromm comes in, plays so well that makes Ethan expendable, he transfers. Okay? So that strong arm, six foot six, big quarterback, right? The one that most most draft evaluators and GMs they'll drool over. He got beat out by Fromm. The 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 small you know, noodle arm type of quarterback. The the, the average ish quarterback, right? The one that is to me like Fitzpatrick, right? He's he's probably one of the smartest guys on the field, can diagnose a play, can tell you exactly where he needs to go with the ball. However, his physical limitations cannot deliver all you know, about I would say eighty percent of the time he can't deliver on those those big time throws that a quarterback like Jake, Jacob Eason might be able to deliver on, given his physical strength. So, I I need people to understand he's a fifth round quarterback for us. Okay, he was the best player available. Bean said it himself. He, he had no intention of drafting from. They probably had no intention of drafting a quarterback. But had any one of those guys from Eason, and I believe the. The kid out of Florida, uh, James Morgan, who was another strong arm quarterback, had any one of them fell, I guarantee it would have probably been the same thing. Probably, it, it probably would have been, it probably would have been Easton Fromm and Morgan. And Morgan may may not have been as high on the Bills board, but definitely Easton and Fromm. And then Fromm fell, and he was there. And Bean said, "That's the guy." So we take, and they take him knowing that it's not a position in need, but. Where is our quarterback position going? We've got Barkley. We've got David. I ask you right now, how comfortable are you if Allen went down and any one of them went in? Not very. I I I was comfortable, I think, before last year's Jets game when Matt Barkley came in and he was kind of dookie. Uh, simply based on the performance that he, he came in, we signed him what off the couch, and he came in and just destroyed. Was it the Jets? Right, he came in and destroyed the Jets a couple right. of years ago. Yeah, I was more confident then, and then I watched him against the uh, the Jets in the last game of the year, and I lost a little bit of that confidence. So, I I like Jake Fromm coming in here. He's a even if he's exactly the same type of quarterback that my, Matt Barkley is. I think he's a, a, watching. Watching both of their game tapes coming out of college, at least, I still think Jake Fromm's got a stronger arm. Not by much, realistically. Not by much at all. But I think coming out of college, he was a better quarterback. Now, who's the better quarterback right now? We're going to find out in training camp. And I think if I think we should keep Jake Fromm if it's even close. And I only say that because he's going to be the cheaper version and we're going to have him for a long time. We're not going to have to sign him to a, a bigger contract like we might have to sign Matt Barkley to to be Josh Allen's backup if he decides to stay in that role and not hold out or anything like that. But he doesn't fit me the type of guy that is kind of a holdout type of guy. He's the type of guy that's like, you know what, I'm going to come in. I've beaten out strong-arm quarterbacks before. I beat out Jacob Eason. I beat out Justin Fields, both five-star recruits coming into Georgia. I beat them both out. Guess what? I can beat out Josh Allen, too. That's probably the mindset that he has, realistically, coming into camp, and I, that's the kind of mindset that I want every every single player on the Bills to have is I can beat the guy in front of me. I'm better than him. I know I'm better than him. And it just pushes the 
players in front of those guys to be that much better. And I think that having somebody like Jake Fromm, who, like you said, can kind of diagnose the play on the sideline to kind of help Josh Allen be able to identify coverages and and know where to go with the ball and kind of know when to check it down, albeit Jake Fromm probably checks it down a little bit more than I would like, to know when to check it down and kind of take, take the profit, so to speak. You know, you can't go broke taking a profit is going to be instrumental for the Buffalo Bills, I think, going forward. Uh, like I said, it, it sets them up in terms of money-wise, too. You're not going to have somebody that is going to be costing you a lot of money. You can take that money and go spend it elsewhere, you know, on somebody like Trey White. Trey White's going to be the, the highest-paid corner in the NFL probably this year. During this year, they're, they should sign him to a contract extension, in my opinion. Will they? Maybe. I don't know, but they should to lock him up long-term. He's the best, if not the second-best corner in the entire NFL. So why you want to pay somebody like that with a little bit of extra money that maybe you got from getting rid of Matt Barkley, you know, is... It doesn't seem like a lot, but it can be huge in the long term. Now, like we're talking... Realistically, you go into camp and... The battle between Barkley, Davis, and Fromm, if it works out that they're looking at it and they're going, well, what's the drop-off between Barkley and Fromm, really? Because they're essentially the same quarterback. Albeit, I would say Fromm is probably a, a, a smarter quarterback. Yeah. And I say that meaning he probably can pick up the, the playbook and like you said, diagnose the plays on the field a lot better than Barkley can. And again, he's younger, right? There's the, the cheap option. So there's definitely a, a scenario that could play out where Barkley gets cut and you're looking at Josh Allen, Davis Webb, Jake Fromm as your quarterback. Absolutely. And man. I'd be fine with your team because a lot of people were high on Davis Webb when he came out. And, you know, he had a, he had a little bit of shine on him when he was with the, the Giants. So, you know, and he's, he's been, you know, in the camp. He's a practice squad guy. So they're already familiar with him. He's already gotten working with the scout team or whatever. So there's a good chance that, you know, there could be a, there could be a shakeup at the backup quarterback position. And, again, I, I say that it's important. It doesn't matter. He's a fifth-round guy. Nobody should be hung up on, oh, my God, what are you doing? You're sending the wrong message to Josh Allen. Give me a break. Egos be damned, okay? I don't need to hear about, listen, if, if my quarterback is worried about fifth-round Jake Fromm coming in and, and thinking his job's in jeopardy, then guess what? He's not your guy. Ask Jim Kelly or Dan Marino or Tom Brady or anybody else when your team drafted a quarterback at some point and he comes, I mean, shit, Tom Brady had multiple quarterbacks drafted while he was the guy, Right. He had Jimmy Garoppolo drafted in the second round, but he was still the guy, the GOAT. Did he flinch? No. Why? Because he's the guy. The guy doesn't flinch. The guy doesn't give a a crap if you bring in a fifth-round quarterback because that's his team. You want to bring in competition so, God forbid, something should happen to me and we can keep this this thing going, keep this boat afloat? Then by all means, because competition – at any level, that's what you want. That's great. That's good for the team. But especially the quarterback position because it's the most 
important position on the team. Okay. That's why people, that's why GMs and, and organizations, they, they back up brink truck after brink truck filled with money to give to guys like Brady and Aaron Rodgers and, and Drew Brees and Philip Rivers. These guys are the guys you pay. Okay. And you should always be preparing for any given Sunday because on any given Sunday, someone hits Josh Allen low enough and guess what? You got to put someone in there and you better have somebody in there that can at least manage the game for you. And that's what a fifth round quarterback is. He's like you said, his ceiling is solid backup. His career, right? He's going to be what Case Keenum is right now, or he's going to be what Chase Daniel is right now. Or, or Teddy Bridgewater, even though he's going to be the guy in Carolina, Teddy Bridgewater to me is a guy that even if he doesn't start ever again, he could be a solid backup. Because you've seen what he did when he came in when Drew Brees went down. Okay? If anything, what happened in, in New Orleans should be a blueprint for every team. You should always have someone on hand that can ride the ship for you. And maybe one day, that's who Jake Fromm could be. Because I've seen the tape. I've seen him play against Clemson. I've seen him play against Alabama. I've seen him play against these, these top-tier talent. A lot of guys, that they show you the statistics every year. All the guys from Alabama, the SEC, how many players got drafted in the first round, how many players got drafted in the draft altogether that came out of the SEC or came out of Clemson or came out of this school. You know what I mean? And I've seen him play against this talent. And why he might, and he might not be the most impressive talent you've ever seen. I've seen him make big plays. Not just those those. 10 to 15, 20 yard shots that he takes, you know, like you said, the dinking and the dunking. I seen in the championship game against Alabama, I seen him take a big shot down the field, hit the guy in stride. You know who the guy he hit in stride? It was probably like maybe a 50 yard pass play for a touchdown. Speed demon of the Kansas City Chiefs, McCole Hardman, okay? He hit a speed guy, Mr. Noodle and Jake Fromm, hit a speed guy in stride perfectly, dropped it right in the bucket. The guy may not have the strength to to drill a football through a brick wall, but the guy knows touch pads. He can hit you where he needs to hit you, and he'll hit you in, on the timing route, and he'll protect the ball. And, again, he's going to be a solid backup, I think. And you'd be, you'd be an idiot not to take a chance on a quarterback like that when he's available to you in the fifth round of all places. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And that's why, Absolutely. boys and girls, it was not surprising to me that Brandon Bean drafted him. Yeah, all those things you mentioned are very, very, very good points. And when you really break it down and you really start thinking about it, I think it's an almost you must a must take him situation, especially the way that you explained it on here. It's it's you know ego be damned, so to speak. If Josh Allen's worried about a fifth round pick, hey. You're probably not the guy, and we sh- we should think about replacing you as you know as we go on here. What do you get with Jake from? Well, you get a guy who started for three straight years after taking the job from Jacob Eason and holding off Justin Fields, both five star recruits. You get a guy who has a ton of big game experience in that SEC that you're talking about, who had the most players drafted, I think, in the first round, tied for the history. Uh, in, what was it? No, maybe it was just LSU. Anyway, 
But uh, SEC always has the most guys drafted in the NFL every single year. He's played in a lot of big games. He played in the national championship game as a shrew freshman. He's played in the SEC championship game. He's played in big bowl games. In his career, he has 78 touchdowns to just 18 interceptions. That goes back to you talking about him being able to protect the ball in his college career. He is not a slouch in terms of being able to make plays either. He has at least 24 touchdowns in each of his three seasons that he has been the starter at Georgia. He is a tough kid. He'll stand in the pocket, take a hit to make a throw. I've seen him do it multiple times. He is a pure pocket passer. He needs the offensive line to give him a nice, clean pocket. And if they do that, he is going to be able to pick you apart. Also, He does have enough, I'm not saying he's got a lot, but he has enough athleticism in order to be able to scramble and pick up a few yards when he needs to. Those are the types of things that Jake Fromm is going to bring to the Buffalo Bills. Again, like I stated before, he has adequate arm strength. I have seen him make a lot of big throws. He's Like you said, he's not throwing the ball through a brick wall at no point, but I've seen some of the placement on some of these passes It is unmatched. He drops dimes to his wide receivers given time and being able to kind of assess the defense. uh, What else did I I put on here? He's a field general. He's a great leader. He gets everyone in the positions that they need to be in and gets them to the right spots. He delivers the ball on time. He's a rhythm passer, and he's very, very accurate. When he has that clean pocket, he has good ball placement. He has a 63.3% completion percentage for the entirety of his career. He still was over a 60% completion percentage after losing his top five wide receivers from his sophomore year to his junior year, which was the year that everyone said he quote-unquote regressed. I didn't think he regressed. I think what happened was he lost his best playmakers. He lost all of his best playmakers to go to the NFL. That's what happened. Then a bunch of younger guys came in, guys that were a lot less experienced, and they struggled a little bit. They struggled with some timing. They struggled with some positioning and things like that. And you've seen it when you watch the tape. Maybe Jake Fromm thought a guy was going to keep running and he stops. Maybe they've seen different things on the field. Things like that, just little things that can really affect the game. You see some drops here and there. You see the guy maybe running the wrong route. Things like that. And that really, I don't even say it affected a whole bunch of what he did on the field. It affected his accuracy in terms of completion percentage. That's the one thing it did. And it affected his yards per attempt. Those are essentially the only two things that it affected for Jake Fromm. He had he still had 24 touchdowns. He had 24 touchdowns his his freshman year. He had 30 touchdowns his sophomore year and he had 24 touchdowns in his junior year. He had 2800 passing yards in his junior year. He had 2700 passing yards in his sophomore year. So everyone's saying, "Oh man, he regressed this crazy amount and the fact that he slipped to the 5th round is astonishing to me because I thought somebody would at least take a flyer on him, maybe somebody like the Indianapolis Colts or somebody like that who has a guy who's maybe aging a little bit and they're kind of looking to replace him in a year, two years, three years, you know, maybe get Jake Fromm in there to be able to, uh, you know, learn the offense for a year, get him up to speed, and then he can go in there and be a solid starter for you. 
if not, if it did, if it doesn't work out, you can always draft another quarterback, and Jake Fromm will be a solid backup somewhere. Like you were saying, he doesn't he doesn't have the strongest arm in the world. He doesn't, and that's it is what it is. He is the guy who he is, but he is somebody that's going to take care of the football. He's going to be able to make plays when they're there. Like you said, we've seen him drop dimes, you know, drop it in the bucket to, to fast wide receivers down both sidelines, over the middle, things like that. Is he going to fit it into crazy tight windows like somebody like a Josh Allen can? No, he can't do that. But is he going to be able to throw a pass with timing and more touch than Josh Allen can? Yes, absolutely. He is what Josh Allen is not. But this is still Josh Allen's team. We should never get it twisted. This There's no question, no ifs, ands, or buts. But you bring somebody in as a solid backup that can uh, come in and be serviceable in a game provided somebody like Josh Allen goes down. We rush, you know, we rush Josh Allen a lot. Josh Allen runs the ball. He had over 500 yards rushing in both in all three seasons, I think, or in the first two seasons that he was in the NFL. This, this is his third season, but he we run the ball with Josh Allen a lot. God forbid somebody hurts him. We've seen Josh Allen lower his shoulder and get knocked completely unconscious against the the New England Patriots. Do we want Matt Barkley coming in? And having to go and beat the New England Patriots, which he could not do? No, you want somebody like a Jake Fromm who can come in. He's played in those big games before. He's played in those big situations. And it's not really going to bother him to step right in and be successful. That's what he did at Georgia. And he can do that here at Buffalo also. So that's why I really like to pick. The more I I think about it, the more I like to pick. And... It's just a a, a fantastic pick, and it's a best player available type of situation for the Buffalo Bills, and you hit the nail right on the head when you said the Buffalo Bills are going to draft Jake Fromm if he's there in round number five. That being said, let's move on to round number six. When we want to talk about a luxury pick, there's no more of a luxury pick than picking a freaking kicker in the sixth round. Number 188, Tyler Bass. Out of Georgia Southern, he is five foot ten and one hundred and eighty five pounds. What do you see when you watch Tyler Bass kick the ball? I see a guy who can kick a ball into the stratosphere. Um, I seen a video online earlier today that I think he posted probably like a couple months ago, and the guy had consistently kicked from fifty, sixty, sixty five yards. And I'm not talking just like he had to give it all he had and like hit a line drive. I'm talking this guy, he hit the ball with arc and dropped it damn near down the middle. And he's the kind of kicker that you want playing for you, not only just in, in Orchard Park, you know, when the weather gets bad and the wind starts to swirl, but he's the kind of kicker you want when you're playing in late December, late January when you're you're pushing for a playoff run, right? And then you're in the playoffs. He, this is a clear message to Stephen Hauschka that last year was unacceptable, and unfortunately he had put us in a lot of tough spots and could have won us games, and he, and he didn't. And I'm not saying that Tyler Bass is going to be any, you know, leaps and bounds more accurate than, than Stephen Hauschka, but he is a young prospect. You know, you take, like you said, luxury pick, you take a flyer on him in the sixth round. He was considered, you know, 
probably the best kicker in the draft. And like I said, if he can boom kick like that, it could pay dividends. Not just, I mean, kicking field goals, but, you know, on special teams when he's consistently kicking the ball out of the end zone and you're not giving the team a chance to return the ball. You know, it's, again, more healthy competition, I think, is the best way to look at that when, again, anywhere from round five to seven, you draft with the mindset that you're adding competition or you're adding to special teams. And that's exactly, you get both with Tyler Dent. Absolutely. He was the top-rated kicker on for a lot of people in the 2020 draft. He has a very strong leg, but you, something that most people might not have noticed, I actually watched, I, I, the only clip I could find was all of his field goals from games one to four in the 2019 season. And something that I noticed in those games was his ball has a tendency to hook to the left. So if he's on the left hash, he's going to have a difficult time with accuracy because the ball hooks to his left because he over-rotates his hips. Now that could be a problem. Obviously, we're only taking a flyer and we're just bringing bringing him in for competition. But it's something to look for if you're looking for him to just come in and and take Hauschka out. These could this could potentially be a reason why he doesn't beat out Stephen Hauschka for the Buffalo Bills kicking job. He has another red flag here. His kicking accuracy is in two for two seasons. Two of the three seasons was under eighty percent. Now I understand, and that could pose a problem in the NFL. The field goal posts are smaller than in college. And if he had trouble getting it inside the field goal post in college, he's going to have trouble getting it in the NFL. He had two seasons under 80%. 17, he had a 78.9%. And 18 or 19, he had a 71.4%. Those are very telling. And you talked about uh, your kicker putting you in bad positions in terms of games and being able to hit clutch field goals. That doesn't necessarily scream clutch to me. But in 18, he did kick 90.5%, which is a very, very solid number. But again, like you said, something to kind of look for. I don't want Buffalo Bills fans to think, oh, well, we drafted uh, Tyler Bass. There goes Steven Hauschka. Hauschka has a real opportunity. If he can get back to like pre-injury level Hauschka at, at kicking the football through the goalpost there, he has a real opportunity to beat out Tyler Bass and keep his job here in Buffalo. Like you said, though, Tyler Bass has an absolute weapon on his lower half. That thing is deadly, man. He could probably kick your head off your shoulders. That thing is so strong. I I watched the video. It wasn't a, it wasn't a video probably that you were talking about. I seen a video of him standing still a no step. 50-yard field goal right down the middle. I'll say it again. A no-step 50-yard field goal. He just swung his leg and rotated his hips and kicked the ball 50 freaking yards. That is insane. That is insane power. And hopefully he can show that for the Buffalo Bills in the preseason and in training camp, and he can work on his accuracy issues and maybe surplant uh, Stephen Hauschka for the Buffalo Bills kicking job. I also think it's important to mention here that, you know, while that is impressive, you know, like you said, you just didn't really get a run up to it. Nothing. He just, you know, boom, 50 yards, right? 
I, while I love seeing that stuff and it shows great athleticism and talent, to me what's important is watching these guys kick under pressure. And I don't just mean somebody in their face, like coming across the bow. I'm talking about game is on the line pressure. You know what I mean? Like, yep. this is the last day we put you in a position, you know, there's literally a second left. And once you kick that ball, the game is, is gone. So it's win or lose on your lane. And this kid has, has some experience with that, you know, and, and big pressure situation, you know, being the guy kicking the game winning field goal. So that's another important thing. I think that's something that probably doesn't get talked about enough when, you know, people don't really talk about punters and kickers at all. You know, half the time I'm watching draft breakdowns and they go, everybody that, you know, is, is evaluating the pick, they go, I didn't spend a lot of time on kickers. Well, yeah, who really does? But if you're exactly. going to spend time on kickers, three things you should probably be looking for. Strong leg, accuracy, and big, big pressure moments. You know, are they the kicker that buckles under the pressure and is, you know, kicking wide right? Or... That one stung. You know, are, are you going to be the guy like Adam Vinatieri was for the the pass in the Super Bowl and, you know, the biggest moment that you could possibly... Because who knows? Maybe Tyler Bass ends up being that guy for us. Maybe we make it to the promised land and it comes down to that last second field goal kick to, to be the difference between victory and defeat. So, you know, like you said, though, it's a luxury pick. It is what it is. You take, again, the best player available. You add some healthy competition and... You hope for the best. Absolutely. Like I competition everywhere is never a bad thing in any organization. It makes everybody better. In round six, still in round six, the Buffalo Bills had a second sixth round pick. Number two oh seven, they picked Isaiah Hodgins out of Oregon State, another big body receiver, six foot four, two hundred and ten pounds. This kid I watched him. People are saying he has the best hands in the entire draft, and we got him in the sixth round. Now, he finished his junior year with 1,171 yards, 13 touchdowns, and eight uh, on 86 receptions. He has fantastic body control near the sideline with being able to catch the ball and keep himself in bounds, getting a foot down in bounds, obviously in the NFL. He needs two feet inbounds, but in college, he did a tremendous job knowing where the sideline was and being able to make a catch and keep himself inbounds in a lot of situations. He's got a pretty decent route tree. When I watched him, he ran a lot of different routes. He ran more routes than um, the Bills' fourth-round pick, Gabriel Davis, in my opinion. I Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not seeing all the routes that Gabe Davis ran, but... I'd seen Isaiah Hodgins run a lot of different routes in college that I didn't see Davis run. And, uh, you know, he's got, he's not, uh, he's not a burner. He's not going to be a burner, especially not at the next level. He only ran a four six one forty yard dash, but he's, he's going to be a possession receiver or more of like a red zone target for the Buffalo Bills at that six foot four, 210 pound frame. He is somebody that, has a, in my opinion, has a real opportunity to make this team. He's kind of like what Duke Williams would be, in my opinion, and not a burner. He's not going to, you know, beat you with his speed, 
but he's going to beat you with his physicality. He's going to be able to uh, shield you off the ball, and he does a tremendous job doing that, mind you. He stacks the cornerback very well, gives his quarterback a uh, a very big target to hit, and he uh, plucks. Uh, one of the things I wanted to say, I'm over here trying to find my my spot on the uh, on my notepad here, but he plucks the ball out of the air with his hands, much like you said Gabriel Davis does. When I watched him, he is tremendous. I don't out of all the catches I've seen him make, I don't think I've seen him maybe five times make a catch with have it coming into his body. He is so good at plucking the ball out of the air and 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 making sure it doesn't come into his body. He has very smooth hands. One of the things he doesn't do well is he's kind of stiff when he's running his routes. So he doesn't have like good breaks out of his routes and things like that. And that can kind of hinder him at at the NFL level, but he is big enough and strong enough and just fast enough to be able to be a very solid receiver in the NFL, provided he can show what I've seen on game tape to the Buffalo Bills in the upcoming training camp. What do you think about this pick, the Isaiah Hodgins wide receiver out of Oregon State pick? All right, so I won't take up too much time um, on Hodgins, just because, like I said before, all the same things I said about Davis and what you said goes for Hodgins. He is your classic wide receiver, four or five, uh, you know, third down red zone target. But what I will say, which many people might not know, is at the combine, the the twenty yard shuttle, he ran the fastest time for the the, the twenty yard shuttle. He was clocked in at four twelve, and basically what that translates to is he's really good in short areas. So, like like you said those third down red zone targets where it's basically, you know, you want somebody to, to get off their break really quick and get up, get up the field or get, get into the middle of the field. So that way the quarterback has someone to get the ball to, to make that first down or to get that, that jump ball pass, you know, on that corner route for the end zone. Hodgins does that as well as anybody. And like you said, such natural hands and, he makes catching the ball look effortless. I, I love the picks for, for Davis and him as far as catching the ball. Because, again, they're wide receivers. And while you would love to have someone who's really, really fast or a technical route runner or whatever, but it amounts to nothing if they can't catch the damn ball. If they're constantly body catching it or they just they don't seem to, to grasp the, the, the concentration aspect of it, we're tracking and locating and, and making sure you high point it. Davis and Hodgins both do that very well. And like I said, they're, they're going to fit the role that they were drafted for. And I think that that's going to turn out to be a really great thing for the Bills because that's, that's where they were filling a need. It wasn't wide receiver one, Diggs fills that need. They really weren't looking for a slot guy. Beasley fills that need. And again, Brown is your speedster right now. So who they were looking for, they were looking for, you know, wide receiver four and five. And I think they found that with Davis and Hodgins. Absolutely. I like both of those picks, especially when I broke it down and really started to watch both of those guys on film. I think they got very quality wide receivers late in the draft. But 
I don't think that was unexpected, especially because they talked about how talented this wide receiver draft class was. And I think it was very smart for Bean and McDermott to to wait and get guys at a better value, maybe in the second third, you know, rather than in the second, third rounds, you know, fourth round and sixth round pick both of these guys were. They have tremendous value. They both have very good upside, and they both can stick on the Buffalo Bills roster, and they fill a need, albeit a small need, but a need that the Buffalo Bills had regarding their depth at the wide receiver position. Another position of need that a lot of Bills fans thought that the Bills had, and they waited until the very last round to address it, was at cornerback. The Buffalo Bills drafted... Dane Jackson, cornerback out of Pitt. He is six feet tall and 187 pounds. He ran a 4.57, so he's got adequate speed. He lined up on both sides of the field when I watched his game tape, and he did match up against the other team's uh, best wide receiver uh, probably about half the time or a little bit more than half the time. Uh, who did he play against? He played against uh, Davis, didn't he, uh, this past season? Davis kind of ate him alive, but uh, hopefully he uh, can get some revenge in Buffalo Bills training camp here. He has a good vertical at 35 inches, so he can get up there. He's a bigger cornerback at six feet tall, so he can contest uh, taller wide receivers You know, on those jump ball situations. And a lot of people are saying that he is going to be more of a nickel cornerback. So he's got tremendous size to be a nickel cornerback. He's got enough speed to be able to cover the slot guy. He's got enough size to be able to cover a bigger slot guy. And also, he is a a pretty good tackler uh, from what I noticed. He can diagnose a play pretty well, and he comes up and makes uh, pretty good form tackles on the running backs. at least he did in the in all the game tape that I watch. He's definitely not afraid of contact. He gets his nose in there, and he's he stuck a couple of the running backs from the games that I watched. And you know, I don't know a whole lot about him. It was a little bit tougher for me to find some more stuff about him. But he's, uh, I think I like it. He's a solid pick. He adds some more depth to that cornerback room, and again. Just creates more competition. Was I overly excited about the the cornerback room outside of Trey White? No. Levi Wallace, pretty good. I wouldn't say like, man, I we got to have him. Do I like Josh Norman? Okay, I guess. You know, he's way over the hill. And, you know, the last time he was really good was in 2015 with Sean McDermott. So hopefully he can kind of rekindle some of that magic. But outside of that, the Bills don't in my opinion, don't have a whole lot in that cornerback room. They have a lot of guys, but they don't. I, I felt like they, there's not a whole lot of talent. And the Bills fill a need in terms of bringing in at least somebody for some competition in that cornerback room in Dane Jackson. What did you think about this pick? He is very much so a physical cornerback, and that's his strength and his weakness. And he will no doubt move inside where he spent a majority of the time on the outside. Um, in college, he's definitely going to be a nickel corner. And I think that that's definitely going to be the best spot for him because of his physicality, but also because he, he does really well against the run. He can diagnose plays, and it, it's his football IQ, which is another big plus on him. So I also noticed that he, he really does have trouble kind of tracking the ball. So I don't know if you noticed when you were watching the tape on him, 
that he he would get caught a lot. You know, he, he almost knows where the ball is when it's thrown, but it just his timing on it is just completely off. It's something that he's definitely going to have to work on. Yep. But I think his skill set, like I said, physicality, the um, the in the box defender against the run. I think that's where he's going to make his money. And if he can work on the other things, like making sure that he's physical, but physical within the rules, not, you know, causing a lot of penalties uh, for the, the defense and just making sure that he's in on those plays and, and using those great tackling skills to stop the run. Um, he's definitely going to end up competing with the likes of EJ Gaines, Teron Johnson, and UV product Cam Lewis, who was a camp, um, a camp body last year. Cause, Right now, White is definitely the guy. They, they brought in Norman on a one-year contract to, to play opposite of White. Uh, that was Levi Wallace's job. So I, I would assume that Norman and Wallace are probably going to be competing for snaps there. And then they brought back E.J. Gaines, but obviously he's an, an injury concern. And then Teron Johnson was a, a former draft pick uh, playing in the nickel spot. So I would say, if anything, the one disappointment I had with this draft was we didn't get a corner earlier, but I know they tried. I know Bryce Hall was, was on their radar. There were a couple other guys that I liked, but they just, they went off the board early. So if, as being said, he was on the call, he was on calls trying to make trades and stuff. And if there was a, a trade to be made, I would assume it was to move up to get a cornerback. Um, and outside of any like undrafted free agents coming in, that's, Quarterback might very well be one of our thinner spots right now, and it may not seem that way, but like I said, you've got Norman, who you stated on multiple occasions, he's, he's not the Norman we saw when he was in Carolina with McDermott. Um, and, you know, EJ Gaines, again, injury concerns there, even though when he's healthy, he plays well. And, I mean, right now you've got, as far as who I'm comfortable with, Trey White, Levi Wallace, Teron Johnson. I mean, that's that's who you've got that I'm comfortable with right now. And a lot can change between now and the start of the season because a lot of teams will end up, you know, starting to release players or they could bring back some players that, you know, they didn't re-sign before the draft that were uh, exclusive rights free agents or they, they make a trade. I mean, a lot can happen. A lot, a lot of roster shuffling can definitely happen, again, between now and the start of start of the season so if I did have a disappointment it was at the quarterback position and how it was addressed but as far as maybe getting a, a, a decent backup at the nickel spot I, I like to date Jackson pick at, at round seven. So how do you think that the Buffalo Bills did overall if you were going to grade them I know a lot of people don't really like to grade out drafts because of the recent full pause that a lot of you know professional analysts have uh, especially online now those things are kind of captured forever so let's capture this draft with us forever and next year if it turns out that we're absolute idiots at least we can get on here and own it unlike the guys that are kind of afraid to that it's their only job Uh, I would give the Bills this is a tough one I would give the Bills a I'm gonna say like a B minus and I'm only going to say a B- because 
like you were saying, they didn't address the cornerback in the earlier rounds, and I think that was kind of one of the thinner positions that they did need. Uh, even I, I mean, they did address both running back and uh, defensive end, both of which were needs, but not incredibly important needs. So uh, as far as that goes, I think that is kind of why I would, I would grade them maybe a B to a B minus as far as how well I think they did in this draft. What about you? Yeah, you and I aren't far off. So you're giving them a B minus. I'm giving them a B plus. And the reason they get the plus and not the minus for me is because of those those first three rounds. Because they traded for Stephon Diggs. Because they they had AJ Epinesa fall to them in round two. And because they addressed the running back position in round three and gave you know Devin Singletary a running mate. I, I think that's where they won the draft for me. And everything after that was just, like you said, it, it, like we've been stating, it's best player available, luxury pick. It, and, and again, I know that Dean had tried to trade up. I know he tried to make moves and, and get certain guys that he wanted that were higher up on their board. But for just staying put and not making those, those classic Dean moves, he got a lot of a solid depth, a lot of, you know, competition for his team. And he got a lot of a decent value, I think, for, for who he picked up and where he got them. I think he did a majority of the work in free agency, shoring up some some spots on the on the roster. And this was just kind of a cherry on the top of that. So they'll get a B-plus for me, and we'll see how that ends up turning out, you know, in a year or two from now. Absolutely. And I... I think I'm probably more excited for this preseason than I have been for the past several, several years that I can remember. There's so much hope in Buffalo right now. dying for live sports entertainment. I know. I'm so, I'm so excited. Let's hope it happens, you know, with this whole crap going on. Hopefully they don't shut it down for some reason. But anyway, if it does happen, I would be very, very excited for it. I'm not normally a very big preseason guy, but lately, you know, especially going and, and kind of dissecting the draft and, and watching the player battles, I'm getting a lot more into the preseason games and really enjoying the different battles on the Buffalo Bills team and seeing who wins out over who. And it's... It, it makes every preseason game a little bit more interesting. It makes watching it after the starters go out a little bit more fun. And I just really, really enjoy it, uh, or have enjoyed it these last few seasons. But that being said, that's going to do it for this week, or this week's episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. Remember, if you like what you're hearing, you can tell your friends, tell your family, let them know. We're going to be doing this every single week. Provided my partner can help me out on most of the episodes, that would be fantastic. Mark's been gracious enough to join us again to break down the NFL draft. Thank you for that. If you want to uh, hear me, you can hear me on any of the major uh, podcasting websites, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on Anchor. You can also leave me a voice message on Anchor, which could be included in an upcoming episode. Or if you wanted to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at Sports Talk B-U-F-F-1 on Twitter. You can also email me at sportstalkbuffalo at yahoo.com. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. Thank you guys for listening, and I hope you guys have a fantastic week. Go Bills!